Amen. Can we give a hand clap and praise to our Lord and Savior this morning? Thank you, Jackson and Katie and Susan, for leading us in worship uh, this morning. Isn't God good? God is good. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, I want you to take them out, and um, I I want you to turn right now, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 24 right now. Um, This morning, um, as I... Uh, sent out to you in my weekly word, and I let let you know um, in, in other avenues today. We're going to take a little little break from our, our series uh, in Acts, and I want to share with you uh, what's on my heart regarding uh, this uh, war in Israel, this Palestinian-Israeli war. Uh, I want to talk about those things, and then I really want to talk about how should we live, what should we what should we expect. And so, um, I hope that I did not overpromise some things today. And I, my fear is when you promise something that you underdeliver. Does that make sense? Um, and so I pray that, um, that that you will be ready to hear God's word. That you'll be ready to have a discerning spirit. But what I want to do, I'm going to make a real quick change. Sonia, um, I, I'm going to go read Matthew 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. If you'll get that on the screen for me, please. All right. Um, so here's what I want to do uh, this morning. I want us to stand to our feet, and I want us to read Matthew chapter 24. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. You can follow along the screen behind me as well. This is Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14, and I'm reading from the New American Standard uh, Version, and it reads, And Jesus came out from the temple, and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and saying, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then Jesus answered and he said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. I would underline that in your Bible. Pretty important. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations, that's all people groups, because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be, everybody say that last word, saved. This gospel of the kingdom 
shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Would you please have a seat and let me pray for us. Father, we come before you. I thank you this morning that we have, that as a group we have sung together about there's power in the blood. Uh, we have sung about you are, you are holy, and we have sung about the goodness of God and how you are so, so good. Now I know today in our world, if we're honest with one another, it's hard to see your goodness as we see lives that are being uh, destroyed, children, elderly. Uh, Father, it, it, it's, it's hard right now to see your goodness. But we as your people today, we stand on your truth which says you are good. And I pray today that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law and that we, your people, that when we leave here today, that we will leave with hope, that we will leave with joy, and we will leave with trust, knowing that you are in absolute control. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Well, you know, as a pastor, one of the questions that I am uh, frequently asked is this, pastor, do you think that we are in the end times? If I've been asked that once, I've been asked it a million times, all within the past six days. <laughs> that's that's, a, that's a, a big question, and many of us, if you haven't verbalized that question, I don't care your age, your stage, at some point you have asked yourself that question. Are we there? Are we in the end times? And whenever somebody asks me this question, an image always pops into my head of a family uh, driving in a car on vacation in a long distance away, and you see the mom and dad in the front seat and the kids are in the back seat, and they're driving down the road, and 30 minutes into the drive, one of the kids from the back seat asks the mom and dad the question, are we well, the first couple of times that question is asked, moms and dads, you're very polite. No, sweetie, we're not there yet. Just read or watch, just, we're not there yet. But after about three hours of that question, what does the dad turn around and yell? He yells something like this, I will tell you when we get there. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well... Let me tell you this morning, we are in the end times. We are in the end times. Now you say, now pastor, you're being pretty confident in that statement. Well, the reality is, as we've been walking through the book of Acts, Acts chapter one and chapter two actually tell us that we're in the end times. Because when Jesus ascends up into heaven, you remember this in Acts 1, when Jesus ascends into heaven, uh, an angel appears and says to uh, the remaining disciples, he says this, why are you looking up? 
What are you doing? Do you not know in the same way that Jesus went up in the same way he's going to return? And then in Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and Peter begins to speak, and Peter begins to preach. He quotes the prophet Joel. And the prophet Joel said this, in the last days, men and women will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as soon as Jesus entered, uh, uh, entered into heaven, because he ascended into heaven, we have been in the last days. And for the, over, for the past 2,000 years, every generation has been in the end times. We've been in the last days. And we patiently await the return of Jesus Christ. Now the events that took place this past week and that are currently going on in Israel, it definitely makes us think that Jesus is getting ready. Would you agree with that? It sure seems like it. Now let me give you some reasons why we're talking about this. You're gonna know them, but I just need to lay this down before you, before we look at some signs of the times that we see what's going on with Israel and what's going on with Palestine. Let me share just a couple of these things with you, why we're talking about what we're talking about. Number one, and I've already alluded to this, Something seems different about this war. Amen? Something seems different. It just, it just seems different. Um, when you and I read Scripture, Scripture is clear that the world is headed toward a time when all Hades is going to break loose across the earth. That, that's what scripture teaches us. And the scripture teaches us that the location of that is going to be Israel. And we see this taking place right now. We, we see also why this, world, why this war seems different. We see anti-Semitism at levels it's never been since World War II. The hatred for Jews is increasing and is going to increase even more so. Islamic nations and Islamic ideologies are rising. The ideology of the Islamic nations, which means this, that, that we actually want the end of the world to come and we want to wipe out all Jews and all Christians. That's their ideology. Now, I'm not here to pick on any individual who believes. I'm just, this is an overall, overarching theme. Are you with me? You look at other nations in our world that are rising. China, Russia. It sure seems like the, the pieces of the puzzle are, are coming together. That's what it seems like. And so as your pastor, it is my duty, I believe my calling, to stand before you and talk about these things. And here's what I know about you and with the rise of technology. Most of you, if not all of you, have already listened to some other preacher, some, um, some other teacher already about end times. I get that. But that does not negate my personal responsibility to you as 
the flock at First Baptist Church Brunswick. And so I tell you at the onset of this, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this in a little bit as well, I believe. I think that'll be an hour or two of today's message. <laughs> um, I'll just give this warning now. Be careful who you listen to. You be careful who you listen to. I mean, if I was arrogant, I would say, only listen to me. That's not, that's not, going to, that's not true, but you've got to be careful who you listen to. Even so-called preachers and teachers, you be careful who you listen to. So we have to talk about this. We have to talk about what's going on in the world. How does this apply to us? Let me, let me give me a couple other reasons why we need to talk about this. When we look at some scriptures, and it, we're actually looking at biblical prophecy. When you and I study biblical prophecy, it can be life-changing. It can literally change your life. I remember as a teenager, um, my best friend and I, Tim Gibbs, his parents owned a, a printing company, and ever so often they would call us in to help us fulfill a big job, and we would stuff envelopes and fold things, and, and my, my friend and I, Tim, we would, we would listen to the Bob Larson show, I don't affirm him today, but I did back then, and he talked about prophecy, and I remember as a 14 and 15 year old just listening to, oh my goodness, all of these things about prophecy, and I've always been fascinated about the end times. Uh, Angela and I, when we just first got married, we went to a Bible prophecy conference in, in Dallas, and, 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 and studying biblical prophecy, it can be life-changing, but it's, it can be confusing. But it can be life-changing, and, and here's, here's why you and I need to study Bible prophecy and why we need to look at what's going on today in the Middle East. What, is, what does the Bible have to say about this? When you and I study this, and when we look, hopefully by the end of the day you'll, you'll catch this, when you and I study biblical prophecy, here's what you learn. You learn that God truly knows the future. God knows what's going on. He's in complete control. The Bible, which is full of prophecies of, of, of the future, of what we read and we know that God's word can be trusted. We know when, you, when we read the promises in Bible, when we read of the prophecies in the Bible, either they've all been fulfilled in the past, or they're being fulfilled today, or they're going to be fulfilled tomorrow. Every single one of them, none of the promises, none of the prophecies in the Bible will not go unfulfilled. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to know them. We need to know that what's going on in the Middle East, this is all prophetic. God in his infinite wisdom and his infinite sovereignty and his infinite providence um, told us these things that were going on. But we also need to know that a new world is coming for us as believers in Jesus Christ. That one day there will be a new heaven, there will be a new earth, there will be a new Jerusalem. You will have a brand new body to which all of you says, thank you, Jesus. I've told God what I want my body to look like. Six foot four, 195 pounds ripped, and hair. That's what I've prayed for. 
But we study biblical prophecy because it is life-changing. One of the reasons, and again, I'll get to this in a few moments, one of the reasons that many of us are confused or, or misled, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, is because this, you haven't studied prophecy. You don't know what's going on, and so you let CNN, Fox, you fill in the blank to, to help you understand theology, and neither one of those are good at theological lessons. Amen? Amen. Here's the third reason why we'll do this, why we're, why we're talking about this. Um, when you study biblical prophecy, it actually brings you peace. It doesn't bring fear. One thing we need to understand as we as we see and we read what's going on, we need to understand this, that fear is not of the Lord. Now there's a, there's a holy fear, a holy reverence, yes, but as believers in Jesus Christ, there's no, there's no fear. Jesus gave us the command uh, he gave us the admonition over and over and over and over again, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Whenever God often interacted with humanity, whether through a theophany or whether through it's an angel, um, uh, when the angel came to Mary, when the angels came to the shepherds, what was the first thing that the angels would say to, to humankind? What would they say? Don't be afraid. Why? Because we can get fearful, and many of us have become fearful over the past couple of days. Would you agree with that? And we tend to overreact, but when you and I study biblical prophecy, peace comes our way, because we realize just how great and how awesome and how amazing our God is. Daniel chapter 2, this is on the screen, I don't want you to turn there, but in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel 2 tells us how we are to relate back to a holy God who gives us and shows us things that we don't fully understand. Well, you know the story of Daniel. God gave him visions of the end times. And in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel said this, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times. It is he who changes the epics. It is he who removes kings. It is he who establishes uh, kings. It is he who gives wisdom to men and knowledge to men of understanding and it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. It is he who knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. This is what Daniel says about our God. Now, last week, we have seen images of pure evil. Amen? God knows. God sees. And yet God says... Do not be afraid. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 24. After he told the disciples, they asked him the question, uh, what, are the ends of the, uh, what are the signs of your coming? And Jesus begins to list them in verse number six. And then he says this, okay, just see, that, see to it that you're not afraid. Thanks, Jesus. But that's what he tells us. There's no need to be afraid. You won't be afraid when you study, when you study biblical prophecy. And here's the last reason, then we're going to get into our text. Why we need to talk about this today is because this, we need to understand the times. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ, and students, listen to this, 
We need to understand what's going on. I want everybody to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Chapter 12, excuse me, chapter 12. Are y'all with me this morning? I want you to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. I'm just going to look at one verse here. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. 1 Chronicles tells us a story of Israel. Um, 1 Chronicles chapters 10 and 11, it tells us about, about Saul's death. And so, but we know before that that David has already been anointed the king. In chapter 12, what we see is David is being, uh, he's being anointed the king, he's, being, he's now being the king, becoming the king of Israel, and we see the 12 tribes of Israel that are, who are once um, a part of Saul's kingdom, now they are turning to David's kingdom. And chapter 12 begins to list all of these tribes. But look at verse 32. Verse 32, we read of the tribe of Issachar, and it reads this, and uh, the version I have up on the screen is from the International Standard Version, because I dislike the way it's worded better. So your translation may not be exactly like this, but it says the same thing. So this is what it says about the tribe of Issachar. The tribe of Issachar supplied 200 leaders, meaning here is the tribe, we now follow you, David. We're yours, David. And it says, a tribe of Issachar supplied 200 leaders along with all their relatives under their command. Now look at that last part, and it says this. And they, the sons of Issachar, the tribes of Issachar, they kept up to date in their understanding of the times and knew what Israel should do. Let me, let me just read that last part again. They kept up to date in their understanding of the times and they knew what Israel should do. Meaning this, the sons of Issachar, they understood the times and they knew what to do. Uh, that word, understand or understanding, it's the Hebrew word, binah, and it means they had insight. They had wisdom and they had discernment. And, and, and this, is, this is what it really means, is that in context, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, in context, the sons of Issachar, here's what they did, with their physical eyes, they surveyed the land, they saw what was happening, but they filtered it through their spiritual lens. Are you tracking with me? And they filtered it through the spiritual lens so that they knew what Israel should do. Meaning, they saw the layout of the land and they knew what they are to do. They had a discerning spirit and knew how to live. And here's what I know about this scripture and here's what I know about our culture and here's what I know about the church. Commentators about our culture and about the church have said this that our culture lacks discernment. And commentators have said this about the Western Evangelical Protestant Church, and the church lacks discernment as well. Now, I'd be in agreement about that. Not you. You all are the smartest, wisest people in the world, right? Look at your neighbor and say, I think so. I think so. I, I, I think so. But here's, here's what we need today. We need discernment. 
You and I need to understand the times and then we need to know what we are to do. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter four, verses 23 and 24, he said, he who has ears, let him hear. And then Jesus said this, be careful what you listen to. And I alluded to that already earlier um, in this message, but let, let, let me say this, let me say this to, to moms, dads, grandparents. Now is a good time to talk to your sons and daughters about the evils of social media. Students, I want all students to look at me. You need to understand there's some evil out on social media. And there's some bad stuff. And you're responsible not to look at some of that stuff. Moms and dads, and it's your responsibility to teach them what not to look at. And if there's ever been a moment for us as believers in Jesus Christ to stand up and protect our children, moms and dads, you need to understand the times, and you need to know what you need to do with your family. Are you with me? Am I hurting your feelings? I guess so. Nobody said anything. Yeah, I'm hurting your feelings. You need, moms and dads, you... You need to look what's going on on their phones. Students, you need to show your mom and dads what's on your phone. Even the hidden naps. <laughs> we know they're there. Are you with me? You gotta have that conversation. You gotta have that conversation because here's what's going to happen, and I'm gonna talk about this in just a second, because there's some great things that can happen with social media. I don't, I don't doubt that. But I know this, that Satan is using social media right now to deceive many, many people. And you and I know it. And we see it. Let, let me give you an example. Last week, after the Palestinians did what they did, a Palestinian spokesperson stood up and filmed a video and said this, oh, we did not know that they were civilians at that party that we shot. <laughs> really? But listen, if you don't have a discerning spirit, you'll fall for that lie. Students, again, I'm not trying to pick your students. I just, I, I'm, we, we gotta know. And moms and dads, you need to know this well. Listen, your brains, your minds aren't, they're not, they're not set in stone just yet. Your brains don't, they have not come to their full functionality. It's still being formed and won't be formed until your mid-twenties when you're able to make the right godly decisions. Moms and dads, you gotta know that. It's just the way we're designed. They need help. And you gotta talk about these things. So. Well, Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus gives us six signs of the times. I'm not going to make it through all six. And everybody says, praise God. <laughs> I will probably, I will only make it through one. Okay, and it's, and, we're, and, it's, and, it's, and it's about the deception. Look at verse number four. And this is really where I guess I'll just end up staying. Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. 
I want, you, I want you to write this down. The number one sign that we're in the end times is this, is that people are misled and they're deceived. That's the number one sign, that's what Jesus says. The Greek word that Jesus uses for, uh, for misleads, it's, it's the Greek word planeo, or planao, which where you and I get our English word planet. Now what do we know about a planet? How does that relate to mislead? What do you know about a planet? Do planets stand still? Or do planets rotate around something? What is it? They rotate. They're called wanderers. When Jesus says, see to it that no one misleads you, here's what he's saying to us. He says, see to it that you're not a wanderer. That you don't walk around and around and not being steady somewhere. See to it. And Jesus tells us that in the end days, there will be many people who come to spiritually deceive you and to mislead you and to manipulate you. And we see that today. Now let me give you some examples of how we see that today. Has anybody read anything about what's going on on the college campuses this week? Harvard, Indiana, Arizona State, Cal Berkeley, California at Long Beach. Some of you are not going to like this next one that I say. Actually, not Georgia. It's North Carolina at Chapel Hill. All, and there's others, all have had pro-Hamas anti-Israel demonstrations. Moms, dads, does it matter where your sons and daughters go to college? It does. Don't send them to Texas Tech because they will not win a football game. <laughs> now I know the argument. Some of you say, well that's free speech. That's free speech. If that's your argument, here's my question to you. Really? Really? If it was free speech, you would allow the pro-Israeli demonstrations to continue on. That's free speech. It's not free speech. Because what a pro-Hamas, anti-Israel demonstration is, it is speech that promotes evil over good. That's what it's promoting. It's promoting all things that are, that are evil over the things that are good. Now please do not misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying that Israel has not sinned in this whole process. Are you with me? They're not sinless. But Hamas, they ain't good. They're evil. And what we see on college campuses today is we have students who've been misled and who've been deceived. Now let me give you a couple of things where they've been deceived. And this is for us today as well. Are y'all still with me? 
here's, here's where deception number one. Here's where the deception comes when it comes to this Palestinian-Israeli war. We have been deceived and we've been taught in media and even in some of our education that the land of Israel, the real name is Palestine and Arabs were there first. You've been hearing that, haven't you? It's what you've been hearing. Can I tell you something? That's not true. Let me answer the question first of all this, who are the Palestinians? We need to know that. Who are the Palestinians? Many people believe that the Palestinians are from the biblical people group called what? The Philistines. Not true. It's not where they come from. Now the name is a derivative of the Philistines, but that's not the people group. Palestinians um, actually are tied all the way back to Israel's oldest enemy by the name of the Canaanites. That's where they come from biblically. That's their genealogy. Historically, the Canaanites, historically the Palestinians, historically the Arab nation, they are desert dwellers and, 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 and wanderers. They, that's where they live. That's what they do. That's, again, that's not all of them, but that's where the great majority of them. And when you look at the land in the Middle East, I want you to think about this. 99.9% .9 of the land in, middle, in the Middle East, guess who it belongs to? The Arabs. 0.1%. Belongs to Israel. And yet, the Arabs are fighting over 0.1%. And we're led to believe that this land of Israel has always been Palestinian and it's always been those of, 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 of the Arabs, of, of that ethnic group. But here's the reality, church. The land of Israel belongs to God's chosen people. Well, pastor, how do you know that? I know that because that's in the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, go to a land that I will show you. And he shows him. And it's the land called the promised land. This is the Abrahamic covenant. And when God makes a covenant, guess who doesn't break the covenant? God doesn't do that. The land is Israel's. Now, you could even go further back to say the land actually belongs to God. All land belongs to God. Amen? But this, spe this specific area from the Mediterranean... To around the Dead Sea, it belongs to God's chosen people. Let me share this with you. The land on which the state of Israel currently exists is not, nor ever has been, Arab. It never has been. Well, Pastor, how do you know that? I've read the history books. Read history. There's never been an Arab nation or state in that land. Never has been. Do you know why? 
Because it's land for the Israelites, it's the land for the Jews. And so you and I have been deceived to think, oh well, well this land has always belonged to the Palestinians or to the Arabs. That's not true. As a matter of fact, this is going to blow your mind. I can tell you right now your mind's already blown. The Quran, the Quran, are you ready for this? Affirms the land for, who do you think? The Jews. It's in the Quran. They even believe that land is for them as well. So you may say, Pastor, why are you talking about this? I'm telling you this because many of us have been deceived about the land. We've been deceived about the land. Let me tell you what the president of Palestine said just um, last month in front of the UN, the United Nations. The president said this, I stand before you here. The Israeli racist right-wing government continues its attacks on our people and its army and its racist terrorist settlers continue to kill our people, steal our money and resources. Folks, what planet is he on? And yet you have college students saying free Palestine? Can I tell you something else as well? The world gave that land to Palestine with Israel's approval. The world, United States, United Nations. Are, are you tracking with me? <laughs> Two people are over here. Anybody tracking with me? <laughs> Balcony, are you tracking with me? Let me give you another deception. Let me check my watch. All right. It's 11.26, which means I've got 30 more minutes. <laughs> Here's a second deception that we need to understand because we've been misled. We have been taught, and this is what you hear in the media, is that the, that the Jews drove out the Palestinians from a thriving country. Have you been hearing that? That the, that the Palestinians, that the Arabians, they were there first, that the country or the land was thriving, the Jews came in and removed them. Folks, that's not true. That's, that's, that's just not true. Read your history books. Read the Bible. It's not true. The nation of Israel ceased to exist in 70 AD. In 135 AD, Rome changed the name of the land. There was no state at that point. They changed the name of the land from Judea and Galilee. They changed it to Syria, Palestina. As a matter of fact, if you were to go in your Bible, go in your Bible and go look in the maps of your Bible, this may not be true in all of your Bibles, but some of them may have this. Mine does. And you may see my, that's my notes. That's my notes from Wednesday night. By the way, come to church on Wednesday nights. It's going really, really well. If you look in the back of your maps, the back of your Bible, you will see possibly mine's map number five. And it says, Palestine in the time of Christ. Does any of your Bibles say that? One. Anybody have a Bible here? Guess what? 
It wasn't called Palestine in the name of Christ. So even our culture has fallen for a deception about this place called Palestine. And this all came from A.D. 135 when Rome changed the name of Judea and Galilee to Palestina as an insult to the Jewish people for revolting against Rome. And ever since then, the area has been under different control. It's been under Roman control. It's been under a Muslim control. It's been under British control. It's been under a UN control. But not one nation or state has ever been in Israel other than Israel. That's history. And in the late 1800s, the Jewish people began to come back to Israel. Anybody heard of the man by the name of Mark Twain? Anybody know that name? Huckleberry Finn? Um, In 1867, Mark Twain visited uh, that land, and here's what he wrote. He wrote, the land is a desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but is given wholly over to weeds, a silent, mournful expanse. And when the Jewish people began to come back to Israel, the land of Israel in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s, the the land was, it was swamps, it was mosquitoes, and it was malaria filled. But when God's people showed back up on the land, guess what happened? What do you think happened? What do you think? It started to prosper. it started to prosper, and it began to increase, and it began to be fruitful because God's people came back to the land. Well, when the land began to be prosperous and fruitful, guess who else started to show back up? What do you think? The Arabs, the Palestinians, and they began to say, no, this is our land. It's not. That land has been fruitful because it's God's people's land. And it always has been. And so what we're seeing with this uh, Israeli-Palestinian war, yes, it's a war over land. But it goes much deeper than that. It's a war over ideologies. It's a war good and evil. It's a war between Christ and Satan. And here's what we have to do as a people. We have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we must pray that all of those who are in harm's way, they need to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Palestinians and Israelis. Now, let, let, me, let me ask you this question, then, then we're gonna be done. One, has this been helpful to you? Has this been beneficial? Now let me ask you this question. And because again, this goes back to what I asked before. Is this the war that ends all wars? Is this the war that ends all wars? 
I do not believe so. Go to Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39 talks about the end times. Ezekiel 37, you, you're familiar with Ezekiel 37, which talks about the valley of dry bones. Do you remember this, this vision? Ezekiel sees a vision and God says, speak, speak to these dry bones. And what happens? All the bones begin to rattle. Ligaments and tendons and muscles and flesh begin to show up on these bones. And then God says to Ezekiel, breathe. Do you remember that? This is, this is my personal opinion. I believe that on March, excuse me, on May 14th, 1948, when Israel became a nation, that that was the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion, my belief at this moment. That Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled because, nation, because Israel has been restored as a nation. Israel is the only nation in the entire history of the world who was once a nation who ceased to be a nation and has become the same nation again. It's the only one in all of history. It will be the only one in all of history. It's a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. Well, in 38 and 39, we read of the, the war that, that is, is going to end up being the war that ends all wars. And this is when we see Russia and China, and we begin to see them all come against Israel. So, is what we're seeing the end? I don't believe so, and let me share with you why and look at verse, uh, chapter 38, and let's just read this, okay? And if you're with me, say amen. amen. Verse 1, and the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. All scholars believe that this is north, this is Russia and all that area. And he says, say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog. Verse 4, I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out, all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding shorts, uh, swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Putin. Oh, just put, just put, put. <laughs> with him, all of them with shield and helmet. Verse 6, going with all its troops, uh, uh, troops from the remote parts of the north with all its troops. Verse 7, be prepared, prepare, prepare yourselves, you and all your companies that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. Now here we go, verse 8, after many days you will be summoned. Meaning when the end happens and Russia comes down from the north, it will be a summons from God. After many days you will be summoned. In the latter years, that's the end, you will come into the land. What land is that? That's Israel that is restored from the sword. What does restored from the sword mean? It means there's no violence. Is there violence in Israel right now? Ah. Verse 8, that are restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which have been a continual waste. But its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living, what's that word? Securely. Are people living securely in Israel right now? No. Jump down to verse 11. And you will say, I will go up against the land of the unwalled villages. Are there 
unwalled villages in Israel? Well, not all of them. There's walls. There's actually a wall around the nation. Wish the U.S. would listen. <laughs> I will go against those who are at rest that live securely, all of them living without walls and having no bars or gates. Do you think there's bars or gates on homes in Israel today? You better believe it there are. So, I'm not going to read the, verse, uh, read the rest of Ezekiel. So do we think, do I believe biblically that this is the last thing? I don't believe so. But what I do believe is this could be the war that's before the war. So when you go home today, I want to encourage you to read Psalm 83. I think, we are, I think we're in Psalm 83. In Psalm 83, you will read of different nations and of different people groups that are coming up against Israel. Those groups that are mentioned in Psalm 83 are not mentioned here in Ezekiel 38. I think we're in Psalm 83. Could I be wrong? Yes. Am I often wrong? My wife says all the time. <laughs> yes. I could be. That's just kind of where, that's where I believe right now, is that, is that that's where we are. Israel is not secure. Israel's not secure. And until she's secure, we won't see Ezekiel 38 and 39. So, I don't believe this is the end of all ends, of all wars, but I do believe, I do believe that the hoofbeats of the horses in Revelation, I can almost hear them in the distance. Can't you? I hear them. So, I hope I didn't overpromise and underdeliver for you today. I really hope that's not the case. So, what do we do? What do we do now? Let me just give you a couple things, just very, very quickly. One, we need to understand that as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, these are some signs, but know this, these signs have been here in every generation. They'll continue until Jesus returns, just know that. Know this, that the pace of these signs, they're going to increase. More wars, more earthquakes. And by the way, you knew there was an earthquake in Afghanistan on the same day that Hamas attacked Israel. It's not a coincidence. But you're going to see these increase, 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 increase. And since we know this, here's what we have to do. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus because he is coming sooner than we think. So let me close with these three things. As Jackson, if you guys can go ahead and come up onto the stage. Here's just three things. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid today. Rejoice that the prophecies are being fulfilled. You win. You win. You win. That's a good thing. Here's the second thing. Get your life in order. You get your life in order. 
And number three, you keep looking up to the skies for Jesus. He's the hope. (laughs) Why do I say that? Get your eyes on Jesus. It's because many of us live life like this. And I'm not just talking to students. Many of us live like this. And when we live like this, here's what happens. We get afraid and we get misled. The scripture says, look up. Look up. Because here's the reality, folks. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing Friend Day in two weeks. Jesus is coming. His return is is soon. And once he splits the sky, your decision has been made. It's been made. You're not going to have to answer for what Israel does. You're not going to have to answer for what Hamas does. You're not going to have to answer what Hezbollah does. You're not going to have to answer for what the United States does. You don't have to answer for what Joe Biden does. You don't even have to answer for what Donald Trump does. Praise God. (laughs) But you give an account of yourself. You understand the times, and you get your house in order today. Today. You and I are not even promised the next second. We're not promised tomorrow. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. Don't do it. Some of you here, you've wrestled with, should I give my life to Jesus? Should I just wait? Well, I want to experience some things in life. No, no, don't experience things in life. Experience Jesus. The author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, the one, John 10, 10, who says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That's the abundant life is Jesus. If Jesus came back right now, would you be ready? If not, today is the day of salvation. And you bow your knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who died for you, who was buried, and then who was raised so that you may have life. And it is now the ball is in your court. Paul said this. In 1 Corinthians 16, he said this word. He said one word. He said, Maranatha. Maranatha. Do you, you know what that means? It means come, Lord. Come, Lord. John, in the book of Revelation, some of the last words he says, come, Lord Jesus, come what? Quickly. Maranatha, come, Lord, and come quickly. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Father, you are coming and you're coming soon. 
I pray that we would be prepared and we would not be scared. We would be prepared for your return. And then when you split the sky, we can say, there's my Savior. And Father, there's somebody here this morning who does not know you as their Lord and Savior today. May today be the day of salvation. They bow their knee to you. They confess their sins and they say, save me, Jesus. And they repent of their sins and they follow you. May that be today. And if that's you this morning, you just tell him that. You tell Jesus, I'm yours. Now, Father, as we walk through these difficult days ahead of us, may we not be afraid. May we all get our houses in order, and may we look to the skies, for you are coming and coming soon. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen.